The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. What's up, fam? How are you guys today? Good to see you. Yeah, that's awesome. You guys are awake and alert. This is, this is good. The coffee must have been good this morning. Glad you guys got that. Uh, good morning. Welcome to Story City Church. We are so glad you're here. Like somebody said before, whether this is your first time or your hundredth time, uh, it's good to be a part of the family. So welcome. You are here and a part of the family. My name is Jared. I have the honor of being one of the pastors here. It's such a privilege to be with you. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just stoked that you're here. Jesus said that all the commands in the Bible could actually be summed up into two. And that is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second, he said, is equal to it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so here at Story City, our family mission is to glorify God by leading communities into healthy relationships with Jesus and others. Healthy being the key word there. And that takes practice. It's not something that we can do naturally. It just takes some work. And so the good news is that we get to live that out by, uh, by being together, by being a family, and, and uh, we get to, to, to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit as we do that. So I want to start this morning by doing a little bit of pastoral prayer. And uh, let's start that way. So would you just join me? Father, you are, you're amazing. You're incredible. Lord, this morning, I want to acknowledge that you are the God of creativity. That you have, Lord, created such incredibly wonderful things, complex things, and you enjoyed yourself in doing it. I I imagine you, Lord, uh, just as you were shaping and making the earth and the creatures in it, that you We're filled with wonder and awe and amazement at your own gifts, your own creativity, your own wisdom. And I thank you for it. I thank you that you are such an incredibly creative God. And I thank you that you have bestowed that creativity upon your people. God, there are some of us that have a lot more creativity than others. But we thank you for all those creative gifts. We thank you for the ways that we see the world. We thank you for... Lord, those who have made the creativity that you've given them into um, a job. And so we thank you that we get to celebrate church this morning in, in the place that is so filled with creatives. And here in Burbank, that's, Lord, a, a mecca of your uh, um, creative gifts that have been used. Some of them being used for you and some of them are not being used for you. But you are the giver of all gifts, regardless of how they're used. And so we just want to say, Lord, I pray that, that uh, those who have been given those gifts to work in the industry, Lord, and we have so many here in this church, we thank you. We thank you that you have put them in positions to be culture creators. Lord, you call us in Genesis chapter 1 to be makers of culture, to be people who make good culture. We acknowledge that we, who are apprentices of you, have not always made good culture. We thank you that you've given us those opportunities and those gifts, and I pray that we would use those gifts for you, Lord, whether we are writing or producing or directing or even supporting as caterers and transportation and key grips and pest boys and sound technicians, Lord, everything that leads into all of these things, Lord. 
I pray that you would show us how to use the gifts that you've given to honor you, that as we understand that our gifts are informed by scripture, that we would find ways to worship you in the midst of doing even the things that seem secular. That you would help us to find ways to bring honor and glory to you, that the way we would live our lives would be such a testimony to you and what you've done, that everything we would do would be pointing back to you. I pray that as we live our lives out in this creative environment, Lord, and in all the ways that the industry exists here in this area, that you would, Lord, help us to find ways to continually represent you, to to, to be good culture creators, to be people who point to you in healthy, good ways. I pray that you would make us very good at what we do. So that as we, uh, Lord, aren't just talking about you, but that our quality of our work would point to you as the giver of these good gifts. So help us be strengthened and developed. Help us to have incredible ideas, Lord. Again, not just things that are so overtly uh, Christian, but things that are just, Lord, good in what we are so that every opportunity is one that points to you because we know everything that we do, Father, whether we think it's Christian or not, is actually testimony to who you are. Help us to find ways to be, Lord, real and transparent about what you've given us and who you are in our lives too. Lord, impact and influence those around us. I pray for influence at the highest levels in the industry here. Lord, not for story city's sake in any way, but so that you might be lifted up and glorified, that you might transform the culture of this area. Lord, I pray that you would bless those here who are continually using their gifts at Story City to bring you honor, to create culture. There's so many ways. It's, it's overwhelming to think of how the incredible gifts you brought to this one place are, are, Lord, I lose words. I'm thankful. I'm so thankful, Lord, and so many of these things go unnoticed. So many of these workers go, Lord, not just here, but in the industry without appreciation, and so we just thank you. We thank you for them. We thank you that you see, that you know what they do, that you see their service, you see their sacrifice. I pray that we as a church would be not only a place where good culture creators are made and raised up and discipled and sent out, but that we be a place who honors and appreciates the sacrifice of those who do all the work in ways we'll never see. Lord, thank you for who you've made us to be and who you're making us to be. Thank you that you love this town, you love this city, and you truly love this industry. We praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, if you are just joining us, it's good for you to know that we are trying to stay away from all the really controversial stuff. A couple weeks ago, we talked about racial reconciliation. Last week, a spiritual gifts. This morning, the really, really easy one, tongues and prophecy. Yeah, I need a vacation already. <laughs> um, but it's important. It's important that we understand. If, if you haven't been with us, we've been walking through some foundational truths of what it means to love God and love people. And it's really hard to get to those foundational truths if we don't even understand the ways that God works and operates. And so a big part of this is just laying out some of these things and saying, look, here, here's, here's what it is. And I think it's important that we address some of the things that cause division and controversy so that when we begin talking about these things, it's it's it has no power to create that division and that controversy. Does that make sense? No. Okay, well, it will at the end of the sermon, so that's good. I'm glad you guys are here. That's, that's important. 
Uh, today we're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And uh, 1 Corinthians is in the New Covenant of the New Testament. If you open up your Bibles to about the middle, that's the Psalms. Uh, I would love if you guys, I know we all have it on our apps, it's great, but there's something powerful about holding your Bible in your hands. And here's the thing, you can write in your Bible. I don't know what, uh, if you come from really old school backgrounds where somebody told you you're going straight to hell if you write in your Bible, you know, do not pass go, do not collect $200. I promise it's okay. If you write in your Bible, you will not go to hell. Okay, it's going to be all right. So write in it, market it, highlight it. It's good to even ask questions and write those questions down because here's what's amazing. The more that you dive into the Bible, the more God answers those questions. You'll go back and you'll see that question and be like, oh, I know the answer to that. God answered that for me. But there's something powerful even about acknowledging what those questions are. And so it's really helpful for us. And so if you open your Bible in the middle, that's the Psalms, that's the Old Testament. Keep going until you reach the New Testament. And that starts with the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you keep going after that, you will find uh, 1 Corinthians. A covenant, though, when you hear Old Testament or New Testament, or Old Covenant, New Covenant, a covenant is like a contract. It's like a contract that can't be broken. It's like it's written in blood. And, and God makes these contracts with us in a way that puts all the burden on him to actually fulfill. And so even if we are unfaithful to our part of the contract, God is always faithful. That's what makes it a covenant, not a contract. Now, we had a perfect contract with God, but we exchanged it against God's will to, for a contract with Satan. And that contract with Satan made us slaves to sin and death. We actually sold our freedom for slavery into sin and death. And uh, it didn't work out so well for us. If you look around, you can see that we broke the relationship between God and humans. That we broke the relationship between humans. All we have to do is look at our own families to see how, how hurtful that can be at times. And we jacked the relationship between humanity and the earth. But here's the deal. There's a new covenant, and as Jesus entered the world as both God and human, he purchased us out of that bad covenant, out of that bad contract by his death and resurrection. And he freely gives this new covenant, this new contract to anyone who wants to sign on as a servant to him instead of a servant to sin and death. But here's the amazing thing. He doesn't leave us as servants. He says we are now children. He adopts us into his family, and not as just some weird formality, but, but truly as a part of his family, we become sons and daughters of the living God. That's incredible. He keeps giving over and above what we deserve and what we could possibly think we could earn. And he keeps giving it in a place that's like, it doesn't even make sense. But see, that's the gospel. The gospel is that God is, himself has come to rescue and renew all creation through the person and the work of Jesus. See, the Bible is a story about God. And Jesus is the hero and the focus of the story, not humans. And so if you're just joining us, we've been learning together about how God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit has been working throughout history to pursue us, to have relationship with us, to communicate with us. The God who created this entire universe wants to have a relationship with you and speaks in a way that we can actually begin to understand. He interacts with us. And as we apprentice him, he actually empowers us to do what he's called us to do. He doesn't just say, hey, you got a job, go do it, good luck. He says, hey, I've called you to this better life. I've called you to this thing I want you to do. You're a part of the plan for redeeming all of creation back to me. You get to play a part in that. That's the family business. As a member of the family of God, you get to play a part in the redemption of the world by helping redeem people. And so the Holy Spirit works in and through us to begin to accomplish God's will. It's what church is all about. 
We're called together as a part of God's mission to accomplish God's will and plan and purpose for the communities around us. Now, each of us is called to do it in a different way, and I believe that God gifts each church to do it according to the way that he's called us to do it, which is why we look different than City Light down the road, which is an amazing church that loves Jesus. It's why we look different than Emmanuel, E.V. Free, up the street, which is an amazing church that loves Jesus. It's, it's exactly why God has called us to be who we are called to be as we're faithful to him. And so the Holy Spirit uh, empowers us to accomplish the mission that God gave us. The Bible says that Jesus himself did the work of the Father by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus returns to heaven, he says we're to continue the work that he started. We're to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Our job as apprentices of Jesus is to, to model who Jesus is, how he loves, how he leads, how he cares, how he interacts with people, how he walks into people's story. How he models redemption. But again, he doesn't just leave us on our own to carry that out. He sent God the Holy Spirit to be our helper. Jesus tells us in verse 38 of Acts chapter 2 that every one of us who becomes an apprentice of Jesus. Now, some of you are just checking this Jesus thing out. Some of you are still going, I I don't know if this is even for me. It's okay. Here's the deal. The Holy Spirit actually walks with us as he transforms us inside. He walks with us to learn how to walk this out on the outside. And everyone who becomes an apprentice of Jesus is baptized by the Holy Spirit. What does it mean? It simply means the Holy Spirit becomes, it comes into our lives. Now, there's some confusion of the term baptism of the Holy Spirit. We talked a little bit about this last week. But what it means is simply that every single believer, everyone who walks as an apprentice of Jesus is given the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is a part of the Godhead, a a member of the Godhead, not a part of the Godhead, sorry, member of the Godhead. That's three in one, three distinct persons of one essence. And so as a member of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit resides in us when we have Jesus. They can't be separated. You can't have the Holy Spirit apart from Jesus. So every Christian who has Jesus has the Holy Spirit. That's what baptism of the Holy Spirit means, that we have been baptized, that the Father, the Son, the Spirit are in us, and that we are called to be and live the life we've called to be living through the power of the Holy Spirit. So everyone who's a follower of Jesus gets the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit then gives us at least one supernatural gift or ability to help us carry out God's mission. Now, Some of you might have grown up in churches that are called cessationist churches, cessationist churches. Cessationist church just means that they believe that the gifts like mercy and hospitality and leadership are still relevant for today, but the more supernatural gifts are not for today. Things like tongues and prophecy and healing are no longer here. We are not cessationist church. We love cessationists. We we think that, uh, that they love Jesus. We think that's great. It's just not where we understand the scriptures to lead us, and so That's great for them. We love them. We are sister churches with them. We enjoy them, but we are not there. We fall into a different camp, and um, that camp is the Charismatics. Okay, I say that with a sigh, because inside the Charismatic family, we got a lot of weird uncles, okay? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Sweetheart, I'm not talking about you. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> Whoo, got that out of the way. All right. No, um, but look, here's, here's the deal. Um, Charismatics believe that the supernatural gifts are still given by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of glorifying God and furthering his mission in and through the church. Now, 
To steal a line from another pastor, here at Story City Church, we say that we are charismatic with a seatbelt. Charismatic with a seatbelt. That is how we would describe our charismatic doctrine. It means that the elders of this church, after careful study of the scriptures, believe the Holy Spirit still gives out these gifts to the church, including the controversial ones. However, they must be used in accordance with scripture to be appropriate in church. They must be used in accordance with scripture. Scripture will always be our highest value. The scriptures always point to Jesus. The Holy Spirit uh, will never contradict scripture. And so scripture will always define the way that we uh, look at anything. And so today we're going to talk about two of those gifts, tongues and prophecy, tongues and prophecy. And so let's go back to the scripture for today, but we're going to expand on that because it's a part of a larger discussion that Paul gives to the church in Corinth. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we're going to read verses 1 to 33. It says this, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. Here's one that many of us churches are, I'll be very honest, right? Churches are afraid of this stuff getting out of control. And so sometimes we set rules like, hey, just don't do it because that way we'll never get into weird territory, right? But the Bible is clear. It says we should desire this. What does that mean? I don't know. Figure it out. But the Bible says that something we're supposed to actually desire. It says, Paul says, I want this for you. I think it'll make more sense when we get to the prophecy portion of what he's actually saying. For the person who speaks in tongues is not speaking to people, but to God, since no one understands him. Guess what? Tongues is as weird back then as it is today. Paul's acknowledging that. He's like, no one understands you. He's going to get into this. He says, uh, you're speaking the mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, The person who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and consolation. The person who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the person who prophesies builds up the church. I wish you all spoke in tongues, but even more, that you prophesied. The person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so that the church may be built up. So now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I speak to you with a revelation of, or knowledge or prophecy or teaching. Even lifeless instruments that produce sounds, whether flute or harp, if they don't make a distinction in the notes, how will what's being played on the flute or harp be recognized? In fact, if the bugle makes an unclear sound, who will prepare for battle? And it's good, we'll come back to that. In the same way, unless you use your tongue for intelligible speech, how will what is spoken be known? For you will be speaking into air. There are doubtless many different kinds of language in the world. None is without meaning. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker will be a foreigner to me. So also you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to excel in building up the church. Therefore, the person who speaks in a tongue should pray that he can interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing praise with the spirit, and I will also sing praise with my understanding. Otherwise, if you praise with the spirit, how will the outsider say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you are saying? For you very well may be giving thanks, but the other person is not being built up. There's a theme going on here. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding in order to teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your thinking, but be infants in regards to evil and adult in your thinking. As it is written in the law, I will speak to this people 
by people of other tongues and by the lips of foreigners, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Speaking in tongues, then, is intended as a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers, where prophecy is not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church assembles together and all are speaking in tongues, and the people who are outsiders or unbelievers come in, will they not say you're out of your minds? But if all are prophesying and some unbeliever or outsider comes in, he's convicted by all and is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart will be revealed, and as a result, he will fall face down and worship God, proclaiming, God is really among you. What then, brothers and sisters, whenever you come together, each one has a hymn, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything is to be done for building up. If anyone speaks in the tongue, there are only to be two, or at the most three, each in turn, not talking over each other, and let someone interpret. But if there is no interpreter, that person is to keep silent in the church and speak to himself and God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should evaluate But if something has been revealed to another person sitting there, the first prophet should be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that everyone may learn and everyone may be encouraged. And the prophet's spirits are subject to the prophets since God is not a God of disorder but of peace. God is not a God of disorder but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints. That last line he's saying, this applies to all churches, not just the church in Corinth. Okay. There's a lot going on here, so let's get into this. First, I think it's really helpful to understand that this, this letter is written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. Now, we call this 1 Corinthians. This is actually 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is actually 3 Corinthians, but we somehow don't have the first letter. So 1 and 2 Corinthians, okay? And what happened is the church in Corinth got off to a great start, and then they just went insane. It got crazy, and they started saying, well... It, I think some of this stuff is not how it's supposed to be. And so they actually write Paul a letter and they're like, hey, can you answer some of like, what should we be doing in this case? Because this seems like it's not great. I mean, they're in complete disarray. They're getting drunk off communion. Okay. Obviously not a Southern Baptist church because it's just grape juice here. <laughs> they're getting drunk off, uh, off communion. They're arguing with each other constantly. They're suing each other constantly. They're sleeping with each other constantly. There's actually some dude bragging about how he's hooking up with his mom. Like, yeah, this is gross, okay? This is, this is, I love how honest the Bible is. Like, the Bible didn't try to hide this stuff. It's not like, oh, our churches were great and it was wonderful. No, this church is jacked up. Their services are out of control. It's a perfect example of what a church can be when we aren't living the way that Jesus called us to. And so this church writes to Paul and they say, hey, we've got to navigate this. How do, how do we fix this? Like, this is an issue. And so this portion of response is Paul's direct response to the questions that they were asking. Here's what's happening. What the heck do we do about it? And so one of the things that we can infer from this is that their use of their spiritual gifts were out of control. And Paul is trying to help us rein that in. And I think to do that in the same way for us to understand, it's really important for us to understand why the gifts are actually given to us. Why are the gifts given? They're given by the Holy Spirit. They are to glorify God. That means to make him famous, not infamous people. Okay? We're to make God famous, not infamous. They're to help edify, build up, and strengthen the church. That's you, not the building, not the administration, not the pastor. You are the church. We together are the church. And so it's to edify, build up, and strengthen the church. That's what the gifts are for. And it does the work God has called his church to. Look at the end of verse 4. What is the purpose of the gift? The person who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies does what? 
builds up the church. What about verse 5? I wish all of you spoke in tongues, but even more that you prophesied. The person who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church, what? May be built up. How about verse 12? So also you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to excel in what? All right. How about verse 17? For you may be well giving thanks, but the other person is not being... All right, you guys get the point. The building up of the church. Now, now that we got that kind of in mind, what the gifts are for and how this is supposed to be used, there's a lot of argument over what the gift of tongues is. You're like, I didn't even know that. Well, I'm going to cut that off so that now you don't ever have to worry about it. You'll know and understand. One of the arguments is that some people say the gift of tongues is only human languages, that it's literally just somebody speaking a foreign language, and other people say, no, it's angelic languages. I personally, this is just Jared, I personally think that Paul answers this the chapter before in verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 and 2. Paul says, if I speak human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. I think the gift of tongues can be Human languages, it can be angelic languages, it can be languages we know nothing about. But I think that's not even as important as how we use the gifts. And so no matter where we fall in the answer, I think there are only three ways that we see tongues used in Scripture. Three ways that we see tongues used in Scripture. And so here's what I'm going to say. This is going to be a little strong. But anything outside of those three ways is not scriptural and therefore not biblical and should not be used. Okay, any use of the tongues outside of these three ways, we don't see it in Scripture, therefore it's not biblical. Okay, guys still with me? Good, if you're taking notes today, this is our first observation for the day. The biblical use of the gift of tongues functions in three ways. Number one, as a private prayer language. As a private prayer language. Number two, as a special tool of evangelism, as we see in Acts 2, 4-11, and three, as a word of exhortation from God to the church, 1 Corinthians 14, 26. So the three ways we see tongues used in Scripture is a private prayer language, a special tool of evangelism, and as a word of exhortation from God to the church. Now, the primary way that we see tongues used today is as a private prayer language. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 2, for the person who speaks in a tongue is not speaking to people but to God, since no one understands him, he speaks mysteries in the spirit. He speaks mysteries in the spirit. This language, whatever it is, is designed between, to go between you and God. Why? Because verse 14.4 says the person who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. And so in the context of a church gathering, it should not be used publicly unless there is a person who has the proven gift of interpretation. The Bible says that there has to be a clear gift of interpretation. I've been in churches where they've said, well, I can't help it. The Spirit just took over. But Paul clearly states in verses 32 and 33, and the prophet's spirits are subject to the prophets, since God is not a God of disorder but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. God isn't a God who's going to just make you start doing stuff that you can't control. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work the way where you just all of a sudden fall on the floor and you're shouting things that you don't know about that doesn't happen to you in the, the ways that the Holy Spirit works. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is a God of order. Now, God can do incredible things. God can make you pass out, sure, right? 
but it's going to be an orderly way. How does that work? I don't know, right? But, but God is a God of order, not chaos. And so it's really important as we're trying to figure out, like, is this of the Lord or is it not of the Lord? These are some of the ways that we can tell, okay? <clears throat> the second way the gift of tongues is used as, as, is as a special tool of evangelism. A special tool of evangelism. In Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit is first given to the disciples, 3,000 people come to become apprentices of Jesus on that day. 3,000 people. Peter gets up to speak, and, and this, this thing happens where all of the, uh, the, the, the people that are with him uh, begin speaking in other languages, and people begin to hear the glory of God being spoken the miracles, the wonders of God being spoken in a way that pierces them to their heart. And they say, what do we need to do to be saved? People heard God being praised in their own language. Acts 2, 4 to 11, it says this. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. When the sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? Perinthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia, in Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God, in our own tongues. I had a friend whose grandfather was a missionary and he uh, met this young Japanese couple and he uh, was, was talking to them about Jesus. He was uh, uh, praying for them and he, he, he said, I, I would love to pray for you. They said, yes. He begins praying and at one point he felt like the Lord told him absolutely he needed to pray in tongues and he did. At the end of his prayer, the couple was crying and saying they had never heard the word of God spoken that beautifully in Japanese. And he said, I'm confused because I don't speak Japanese. <laughs> that is a special gift of evangelism through the gift of tongues. He still doesn't speak Japanese, right? That's, that, that's not the point. The point is that God did something where he used the person and he used that prayer language. It was a gift. It wasn't something he wields. It was something that God gave him in that moment to evangelize that couple. That's a special gift of evangelism. And lastly, sometimes tongues is used with an interpreter in order to bring a word of encouragement to the church body. Verse 26, What then, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything is to be done for building up. This use, though the most abused today, is rare. Paul says in both tongues and prophecy, they aren't all to be speaking at the same time. I come out of charismatic churches where that's what happened. Everybody was on a free-for-all, right? And the, the, the bummer is, is that it, it actually, um, it, Paul says, it, it actually confuses people. It doesn't bring a good witness. We should be a place that isn't just a little holy huddle, right? Church should be a place for all of those who are seeking. If you're coming in, you're going, I just don't know about this Jesus thing, or I think I want this Jesus thing, or I've been doing this Jesus thing for a long time. We're all together in this place. This isn't just a little holy Christian huddle. And so if we're doing that, we have to make room and space for people to be in to understand who God is. We're modeling, practicing, using our gifts here so that we can use them effectively as we are going about our daily lives the way that God has instructed us to. 
And so those gifted with tongues, if you have the gift of tongues and there is an interpreter, should only speak one at a time and only one or two or at the most three the Bible says should speak and then there must be an interpreter or they should remain silent. It becomes a private prayer language with God again. Again, if there's no interpreter or the service is not orderly with only a couple people speaking one at a time, the gift is not being used in accordance with Scripture. I'm not picking on other churches who do this. I'm just saying this is what we believe we have been called to do. This is our seatbelt. Does that make sense? I'm not saying another church is bad. I'm saying when you look at Scripture, it seems pretty clear there is definition of how the gifts are to be used. And so we're going to hold to those gifts because this is where God has convicted us as a church to say, if we're going to believe this, then this is how we need to see this. You guys with me still? Okay, I'm not picking on other churches. I want to be really clear about that. Okay, we're going to move on now to uh, prophecy. But before we do, I want to point out an important observation about the gifts. And so if you're taking notes, this is our second observation for the day. There is a difference between a gift and an office. There is a difference between a gift and an office. In the Old Testament, we had prophets who spoke or wrote God's messages to people. When we, had, we see what they had to say, it most often starts with something like, thus saith the Lord, for those of you King James people. Right? This is what the Lord says for you NIV people. These people held the office of prophet and were writing God's words as scripture according to their calling. But this is because there was a separation between God and humanity caused by sin. We did not have the Holy Spirit living in our lives at that point. When Jesus died and rose again, he conquered sin and death and allowed us to be reconciled to the Father. There's this beautiful picture at Jesus' death where there's a tearing of the veil between the Holy of Holies. And it symbolizes that the the separation has been uh, bridged. There is no longer a separation between us and God. And now we have this connection to God in a way that we never did before. The Holy Spirit is living inside of us. And so we no longer need the office of prophet. But we have the Holy Spirit who lives in us and speaks to us the words of the Father. And so we still have the gifts of apostle, prophet, evangelism, shepherding, and teaching as per Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, 11 to 13 says, And he himself, that's God, gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to equip the saints of the work for ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach in unity the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with the stature measured by Christ's fullness. These are gifts, not offices. We no longer have big A apostles, little A apostles, people with a gift of apostleship. We no longer have big, big P prophets. So a person with a prophecy as a spiritual gift isn't a prophet. They have a gift of prophecy and are using the gift as given to them by the Holy Spirit. I have friends who have the gift of healing, but they're not healers. They have the gift and are exercising the gift of healing. A person who catalyzes and brings together those evangelists, prophets, shepherds, teachers, are little A apostles. They're the ones who catalyze and help people get sent out. They are little A apostles. They have the gift of apostleship, but not, they're not apostles. Remember, we don't own our gifts. Right? God doesn't give us a gift and, and, okay, now it's ours. I can use it like a sword however I want. It doesn't work that way because then all of a sudden it's us who are now wielding God like he's some sort of tool. And then that puts us in charge, not God. It doesn't work that way. God gives us the gifts that he wants us to have to carry out his mission and he uses us in us as he sees fit, not the way that we see fit. Make sense? Okay, if you ever hear somebody walking around calling themselves a prophet, be very concerned. Okay. All right, this brings us to our third and final observation for the day. 
the biblical use of the gift of prophecy functions in three ways. One, for strengthening. Two, for encouraging. And three, for comforting. The biblical use of the gift of prophecy functions in three ways. Prophets do three things. They strengthen, they encourage, they comfort. Now, prophecy has this connotation that it's all about foretelling of the future. You know, it, 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 I bring up these images in my mind of Professor Trelawney and, and Harry Potter like, this is the prophecy. <laughs> but the truth is so much less like Harry Potter. In his book, Prophecy, Dr. Patrick Fairbairn points out the Old Testament prophet was simply someone who was gifted and tasked to clearly communicate God's will and word to the people. Abraham is called the first prophet. And later, God tells Moses that God will speak to Moses and Aaron will speak to Pharaoh as Moses' prophet. And so what he's pointing out is what a prophet is, is somebody who relates the higher truth of Scripture, God's will and his ways, to the people around him. This points us to the use of the gift as a messenger from God who clearly communicates the will and the word of God by a special gift. The gift is, again, about the higher truths of the kingdom, not just for telling what might come, though sometimes that is part of it. It's the same today. God has gifted some people with the ability to speak the higher truths of God's kingdom in a specific time, in a specific place, but listen for the reason why. It will strengthen, encourage, or comfort God's church. Now, strengthening. Sometimes that means that the word is not pleasant. It may be hard to hear, but that message will always call us back to God and do so in a way that strengthens, encourages, or comforts God's church. Unfortunately, this is another one of those abused gifts. And so the rules for using the gift of prophecy are almost the same as tongues. What are those rules? Has to be Spoken to the elders, the elders would uh, listen, interpret, evaluate what happens there, and see if it is um, to be shared with the congregation. The congregation would listen and say, yeah, we think that is from the Lord. Because this is so abused, I want to wrap up with a couple of points. If God has given you this gift, I think there's some really important things to remember. And the first is that if you don't use it with love, then it's useless. Paul says in verse 29, only one or two should speak. It should be evaluated. This evaluation is presumably done by those with the gift of discernment, by the elders. The way we do it in this church, if someone has a word they believe they uh, hear from the Lord, they bring it to one of the elders. The elders would bring it to the group. We would discern if it's, from the con- if it's for the congregation. If so, bring it to the people. And then you guys would have to judge whether or not that is from the Lord. That's exactly how it would work. When you are sharing something, <coughs> excuse me, you believe it's from God, I found it to be very helpful if you start by saying something like, I think the Lord might be asking me to share this with you, I would love if you would ask God to show you if this is really from him or not. And then give it as a gift and let it be because it's really between them and God. It's not about you. So often I've heard people abuse this by saying, God told me to tell you and they go into something and you're like, that definitely wasn't from God. So give it to him like a gift, not a mandatory statement. If it's from God, God will verify it, and then it's between them and God, not you. Lastly, it's important to remember there have always been and always will be false prophets. The false prophets will often sound good and may even have powers or abilities that come from Satan instead of Jesus. Remember, all prophets, if they're from Jesus, must affirm Jesus is the only Lord and Savior, 
must affirm and never contradict scripture and will have a message that brings glory to God and assist the church in God's mission. It will always point us back to the gospel that God himself has come to rescue and renew all creation through the person and works of Jesus. And so the gifts are given to us as the church so we can continue the work of Jesus and further the gospel. They will always bring God glory. They will never elevate a person or make a person look good or bring them fame. Only God. Amen? That's the Christianese word for good. I hope this has been helpful this morning. I realize it doesn't answer all of your questions. That's okay. There's no way to do that in 30, 35 minutes. I hope this, though, pushes you to go back to scriptures and say, God, what is this all about? To learn and know more. We would love, if you do have questions, I'd love to answer them for you. But I hope this sparks something in you that pushes you back into uh, scriptures. It pushes you into good discussions in your missional community groups and your DNA groups. Good? Let's pray. It's been a good morning. God, thank you for the ways that you have loved us, the ways that you have gifted us. Some of us are discovering this for the first time and we don't know what those gifts are, but Lord, we, we are beginning to understand that whatever you have gifted us in will always point people back to you. And so I thank you for the things that you are doing in us and through us to, to be a people who model you, to show what you're like, how you love, how you care how you lead, how you compassionately walk into people's stories because you are the God of reconciliation and healing. Lord, we want to be people who, who learn to listen first, who learn to ask good questions, who truly hear when people speak so that we might truly begin to um, ask questions that guide people to you because you are truly the answer. Give us the gifts that we need to be the people who point to you well. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name.